going to take a few week break from Acts. We're going to spend um, a week, a week today, looking at Thanksgiving. And we're going to get into a four week um, focus on Christmas. And then we'll come back out on the other end and back into Acts. But today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. And if you look at your bulletin, I'm going to fly through a whole lot of chapters. This is how I average out. You know, if I'm spending a week um, on a, a 10-verse segment, I have to throw these in on the holidays and just blow out a, a couple whole books at a time, and then it averages out for my end-of-the-year uh, Bible verse quota, which all pastors have to present to God. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It's kind of like police and speeding tickets, but that doesn't really happen at the end of the month. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a time of year when people all over America get together and they're supposed to give thanks for whatever. Starting November 1st, I noticed on Facebook, certain people started posting every day one thing they're thankful for. You know, I'm thankful for my mom, I'm thankful for my dad, I'm thankful for my job, I'm thankful for my house. I even, I even saw an I'm thankful for Facebook post. And as Christians, you know, we have all these terms and things we're supposed to do that get really abstract. One of them is we're supposed to be a thankful people, no? First uh, Thessalonians 5.18 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's actually 18 through 20. Flip over to Ephesians 5.20. You'll see something very similar. We as Christians are called to be a thankful people. We're called to be a people of thanksgiving. So does that simply mean that each day we're supposed to tell God something we're thankful for? Oh, good morning, God. Today I'm thankful that I got up. Hooray, amen, let's move on. Now personal devotions. What is that? Oh yeah, listen to some. Is that what it is, or is there, is there something else? Is there something that we as Christians have that the world doesn't? Is our Thanksgiving simply a year-long celebration of what the world crams into one day? Or is it something else? So what I want to do today is I want to fly through an exorbitant number of chapters of Scripture from way high up and look down at three people that you're probably quite familiar with, then look at ourselves and see how we are to be a thankful people and why it's a gift that God entrusts to us. So let's start out with Abraham. The story of Abraham is found in Genesis 12 um, through 25. So, um, Kelly, if you want to start reading in chapter 12, and then uh, Matt pick it up in 14, and then, then Bob when 17, I'll be back in about half an hour. And, or we can do it this way. We meet Abraham when God says, they called him Abram at the beginning. He had a name change. You can read about why if you like. God said to Abram, go from your country to the land that I will show you. And God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing too. In layman's terms, one day Abram's just hanging out in Ur. God says, hey, go. Where? Don't know. Well, not going to tell you. God knows. Not going to tell you. Just go. God, this is everything I'm familiar with. This is my family. This is, this is my, my home. This is, this is everything I'm comfortable with. God says, okay, go. So, Abram goes. And as he goes... Walking in obedience, he runs into a famine. And the famine's so bad that he has to go into Egypt. And as he goes into Egypt, he has this pretty little lady at his side, his wife, Sarah. And he says, you know what, you're so pretty. Let's tell people that you're my sister so nobody kills me and takes you away from me. 
It's half true. It's a lie. So they go in and they have some trouble with that sister-wife thing when they find out what's going on. So they leave. And then Abraham has some trouble with his nephew, Lot. See, they, they were acquiring more animals and their, their shepherds began to have arguments with one another such that they had to separate. And shortly after they separated, Lot got himself caught in a battle and Abraham had to risk his life to go and, and rescue his nephew. And, and you look at Abraham at this point and you say, All right, Abraham, what are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful that I got to leave my hometown and go out into the wilderness into a famine and almost get killed because my wife was real pretty and have all these problems with my nephew. And then we had to separate. And then he got himself caught in this battle. And then I had to go and get him. Praise God. That's what would be going on in his head, maybe, if he was a typical Christian. But he'd probably put on a good front and say something like, Well, at least I have a nephew I have to go and rescue. Well, at least I have a tent to sleep in at night. Some people don't have tents. Uh, at least I once had a hometown that I, I knew as it, it was like. Uh, at least I have a, a pretty wife. Some people have ugly wives. Is that how Abraham would have been thankful? Because then what happened was God said, Hey, remember how I said that, that I would make of you a great nation? And Abraham says, Yeah, I remember, but there's a little problem, God. I don't have a son. God says, Yes, I'm going to give you a son. But the son never comes. Finally, Sarah says, and you know it's not just a couple days, because she says, hey, go, go over to Hagar. See if you guys can take care of that son thing. And they get a son, Ishmael. It doesn't work out so well. And still today, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of, of Isaac are, are still battling. Turn on the news. You see that. Fifteen years from the time God says to him, you will have a son till the son came. During those 15 years, I'm thankful that God has promised me a son, even though he is never, ever coming. Look how old I am. Look how old she is. There's no son, but praise God for him saying he's going to do something he's not going to do. And then, he gets a son. God says, hey, see that son? Go kill him. Now, it wasn't when he was real little. He was probably 10, 12 years old. He was carrying his own wood to the altar. God's telling Abraham, be thankful. What the heck is he going to be thankful for? It's kind of screwed up, isn't it? Let's leave Abraham for a minute. Let's move on to Moses. Moses always had it going on, right? Moses had an awesome early childhood. Except for the fact he had to leave his home in a basket. And then he was um, brought up apart from his mom and dad at an early age. He um, grew up never feeling quite at home in Pharaoh's house. One day he killed an Egyptian who was battling one of his people. As an interesting side note, you ever wonder how Moses knew that the Israelites were his people if he grew up in Pharaoh's home? A little side note here, we often think it was baby, you know, cuddly Moses, maybe six, nine months old when they, they gave him over. He was probably more like four, five, six years old. Imagine the trauma to take a kid at that age and then rip him out of his house. Okay? So he leaves, he grows up, he kills this Egyptian, and then his grandpa wants to kill him. That's Pharaoh. Get it? Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh. Wants to kill him, so he runs into the wilderness. He's, he goes from, from the palace to the finest things of life, living in the wilderness, tending animals for 40 years. I am so thankful for living in this dusty wilderness. Praise God. Then God says, hey, get out of the wilderness. Go back to Egypt. You will set the people free. Well, I'm a little afraid I might die. Just go. He goes. 
Then he actually gets them out. And what do the people do? They want Moses dead. They want to leave him. They have all these problems in the wilderness. I got a couple listed here. They had the golden calf incident, the people being killed incident, the smashed tablet incident, the quail issues, lying, deceit, power struggles, family issues. And Moses wasn't even allowed to enter the promised land. You can read all about that from Exodus 2 all the way through Joshua 1 with a, full, a few chapter gaps in between. Moses, welcome to Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for this year? Well... I'm thankful for getting to live in the desert for so long. It was awesome. And I'm thankful for having so many wonderful people around me who made my life a living hell. Ooh, Moses, why do you have some more Manischewitz? We'll talk in a minute. Let's move on to Joseph. How about Joseph? Joseph wasn't uh, kicked out of his family at an early age. In fact, his dad loved him. Maybe a little too much. The story of Joseph is in Genesis 37 through 50. See, Joseph was a, one of the youngest, and his dad loved him too much, and his brothers loved him not enough, and one day his brothers had enough, and they decided they would just go and kill him. Actually, they had him come to them, and then they were going to kill him. Kindly, they didn't kill him, they just threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. So Joseph got it going on. Then Joseph gets sold into slavery at Potiphar's house, and things go incredibly well. Until Potiphar's wife has a little problem with Joseph not wanting to do what she wants him to do, and Joseph ends up in prison. He, he interprets some dreams and gets forgotten about in prison, and he's abandoned in prison. And then he gets pulled out of prison, and he, he becomes a prime minister of all of Egypt, and he's dealing with, with the logistics of managing a worldwide famine. Dude's under a lot of stress. He's been ripped out of his family. He has no consistency in life. People keep, keep turning on him. He keeps ending up in jail. He goes from the highs to the lows to the highs and the lows. And Joseph, what are you thankful for? He's probably just spinning around. I don't know what's next. Oh, no, but I'm thankful. These people are called to be thankful people. We're called to be a thankful people. So how do we do it? Here's why I picked these three people. You and I were never sold into slavery. We've never been falsely put in prison, and we've never been called to sacrifice our kids. But I think we can relate to each of these three guys. These three guys now know something completely. At the time, knew something probably a lot more fully than we do, which I want to remind you of today. My kids have um, remote control cars. This is not what they were aware of. And their remote control cars bash into the curbs and the trees, and they flip, and they dink. And, and if you turn it over and look, there's a recalibration button because the front tires get all askewed. And if you don't recalibrate it, you wear out the tires, or the car spins crooked, and the engine doesn't run very efficiently. And I think as we go through life, of the bumps and the flips and the dunks, sometimes we need to be recalibrated. I'm probably not going to show you something brand new. But I want to help all of us recalibrate. What I want to do is hopefully allow you an opportunity to marvel at two incredible truths about God. Which are, which are magnified in the gospel, which the more fully we understand, the less able we will be to be anything but thankful. Here's number one. God is absolutely, completely sovereign. Do you know what that means? It means that God is fully in control of everything, at all times, in all ways, and can do whatever he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, no exceptions. He is utterly and completely in control of everything. From the breath you draw to the sun's rising and setting. Yes, I know, the earth spins. He's in control of the earth spinning.
But think about that. The stars exist because God allows them to exist. You wake up because God allows you to wake up. God is not a distant deity. He doesn't wind us up and watch. He has his hand upon us at all times so we continue to function. There's a big difference between that. Everything that happens, happens under the sovereign control of God. Now, by itself, that is a downright frightening truth. There's no comfort in that all by itself. Because just to know that God is in control of everything, where where is the comfort in that? What if he's a wicked God? What if he's an evil God? What if he doesn't like you very much? What, what What if he doesn't care about you one bit? What if he is not interested in you in the least? He's in complete control of everything, and you can die at his will. It's a downright frightening truth all by itself. I don't find much comfort in sovereignty alone. Well, God's in control of everything. Well, that's great. My kid is is sick and dying, and God's in control. That's really, really comforting. But the second great truth puts a comfort on it. Sovereignty alone will frighten the boots off of you. But sovereignty in light of the love of God will cause you to be fully thankful at all times, the more fully you understand it. Think about this. Does God love you? Does God love all people? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What's eternal life? This is eternal life. To know God. To live in relationship with God. To have intimate fellowship with God. He knows us and we know him. He loves us and cares for us and gives us every good thing. Flip over to, to 1 Peter. Came across this one in my time of worship this morning. Or you could say while I was working out on my little iPod. This verse was just playing through my ears. Being that there are no, uh, no coincidences in life. 1 Peter chapter 1. Anybody there yet? You want to read it, uh, Renee? At, at verse one? At ver- I'm sorry. Chapter 1, um, verse 18 through 19. Knowing that you were trans- ransomed from, sorry, my brain's not working. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You put that in layman's terms for you. How much does God love you? Look, look at that slowly. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. It's called sin. We were born in sin. We were born separated from God. It's what we inherited from our forefathers. We were separated from God. There was nothing that we could do. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So God is going to get us out of this predicament, not with with just stuff. Not by by paying it off with with cash or or money or, or possessions. He covers the cost with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. A lamb that was perfect, that had no need to die, chose to die so that we might live. Christ became sin, the Bible tells us, so that we might become righteous. Now stop and think about that. We have a sovereign God on our hands. God's in control of everything. God became man 
to take his wrath that we might not have to. Think about that. When my sister was, was a teenager, I, I used to ask her this. And she'd be dating someone, and eventually she would tell me that she loved someone, and I would say, well, what does that mean you, would lo- you love them? I was not a Christian at the time. I was just completely confused. What does that mean that, that you love them? She's like, well, I said, would you step in front of a bus for them? And I think that was a pretty solid definition at the time. She's like, well, I don't know if I'd step in front of them. I said, you don't love them. That's love. You know, this is love that he laid down his life. Well, I, well, I would say that that's absolutely true. This is love. A bus is going to hit somebody, and you shove them out of the way and take the bus for them. That's love. Yes, I understand there are problems with that analogy, but see what I'm saying here? That's sacrificial. God took us, sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God, looked at us, separated from Him by our sin, and said, instead of, they shall be destroyed because that is what they have deserved. Each and every one of them has fallen short of my glory. Each and every one of them has repetitively sinned and lived in open rebellion to me and deserves my full wrath and death. And God would still be just and holy and loving to do that. He said, instead of that, let me become one of them so that I might take the wrath that is due them upon myself so they would be completely forgiven if they would simply believe in me, turn to me, and be saved. Now stop and let that marinate for a minute. Stop and realize, this isn't just some, some, oh, yeah. This is mind-shattering, mind-boggling, the more fully you understand it. God said, even look at this book. Do you know why we have this book? Because God loves us so much that He wants us to be able to know Him. So He gave us this, in human speak, to reveal the infinite. The infinite, unknow- unsearchable, incomprehensible Creator of all things gave us a revelation of who He is that we could grasp in our fallen sinful minds because He so, he so desires to live in an eternal relationship with us. Stop and think about that. What happens is we bang our, our bodies into the world and we forget to recalibrate. You know, we watch the TV. We, we, we live with, with our, our neighbors who don't love Jesus. We go to work. We get busy. We run ragged. We go through the motions of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it's a year, and it's two years, and it's three years. And we look back and we think, what the heck happened? Why does God seem so distant? Well, we forget to recalibrate. We forget to realize that God is in control of all things, at all times, in every way. And He loves us. Romans 8.28 God uses all things for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purposes. God's saying that everything that happens in your life as a child of mine is for your good. Now when you know the story of, of Abraham, we got, we got the, the heightened perspective, start to finish. Gee, isn't that kind of like how God sees life? God says to Abraham, go from your country. Abraham's a regular guy. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. What do I do? What do you say to him? You or me, if we could talk to him. Travel back in time. Dude, go! Go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. You have no idea what God's going to do for you. And through you. And with you. Go! Abraham walks by faith. 
and he goes. What about when you, you get to uh, the son? God says, go and kill him. Go and sacrifice him. What would you say to him? Go do it. Watch what happens. You have no idea, but just trust him. Go. You'll be amazed. But see, he's got to do it by faith. What about Moses? When Moses is running away because Pharaoh's going to kill him? Or what about when God says, go back to Egypt? And Moses says, but, but I'm not well spoken. Dude, go! Doesn't matter how well you speak, just go. Watch what God's going to do. The people grumble in the wilderness. Moses, just hang in there. It's okay. You, you don't realize how many billions of people are going to hear about this and be amazed by this. Just go. God's in control. Joseph sitting in the pit. My brothers, God, what happened? It's okay, Joseph. Joseph, you don't understand. You're going to be the prime minister of Egypt and save your people. Your dad will come back. You will save God's people. What? I'm in a pit, dude. Me, I'm nothing. I'm a little country kid. I'm going to be prime minister of Egypt. Yeah. You see what happens when you have the higher perspective. You and I live in the middle of the story. Abraham and Moses and, and Joseph could speak to us. They'd say, do it! But, but I'm scared. Do it! You have no idea. You have no idea what God's going to do. But it's scary. And I don't see how it plays out. And I don't know how it's going to work. They just say, do it. How? Walk in daily obedience. You'll be floored. At what? At the sovereignty of God and His love for you. Now you come back to the Thanksgiving table. Are we to be thankful for the things that God has put in our lives? Absolutely. If you have a, even if you have a bad one, if you have a good family, thank God for your family. If you have a job, thank God for your job. You got a car, you got a roof over your head, thank God for every good and perfect thing. The problem we have is sometimes we default to the comparatives. Well, God, my, my house is leaking and half of it collapsed, and it's really cold, but at least I have part of a house. Right? You know that one? Or you got sick or rebellious kids? Well, at least I have kids. Or you got a, a, a spouse driving you up the wall? Or a neighbor whose dog doesn't stop barking all through the night? Or more bills than you can pay? And you say, well, at least I have it better than uh, the homeless person. You know the problem with that comparative Thanksgiving? That homeless person is called to be thankful. That person with no house, the person who lives in a mud hut with a drippy roof in, in the middle of nowhere is called to be thankful. And the comparative thanksgiving is the problem we have with understanding sin. I'm not so bad because if you watch the news, I can show you worse people than me. God's saying, don't... I'm not interested in you comparing yourself to others. Remember when we were little kids, if you had siblings? But mom, she, she did this. I only broke one window. She broke three. Rarely did your mom say, well, wow, you're a really good kid. I didn't realize you just broke one window. God's not looking for us to compare. He's looking for us to, to measure by his standards. God is fully in control of all things. So that homeless person takes someone through Sandy. The house got blown. Those are hard Thanksgivings, right? Your house is gone. You're living in a shelter. What are you thankful for? Well, at least we, we have this shelter. How about this? I'm thankful for the fact that God is fully in control of all things. That this storm came either because he caused it or allowed it, and there's a perfect purpose in it. And even though I can't possibly begin to see it, I am thankful that God knows it, 
and will we'll work it perfectly for my greater good. You ever stop and think about that? We can't go comparative. We can't go just on the stuff. What God is calling us to be thankful for is the fact that we know God himself. We can say, thanks God for the house you've entrusted to me. Thank you that I have heat on a cold day or cool on a hot day and running water and hot water and food in my, in my refrigerator. Thank you, God. That is completely appropriate. But don't base your thankfulness on the stuff. The thankfulness comes from knowing the one who entrusts the stuff to us and the incredible love he has for us. Here's the big difference. The world can't do that. The world just simply says, thank you for my job. First of all, who the heck are you thanking? You ever ask them that question? Just leave that to me. I'll ruffle the feathers. I'm thankful for my job. That's awesome. Who are you thankful to? Oh, never thought about that. And why are you thankful for your job? Well, because I have a job, and a lot of people don't have a job. So when you lose your job, you lose your thankfulness. You see... For us, even if everything is taken away, we can still be thankful. Because we know who allowed it to be taken or took it, and we ultimately know the why. And when life gets crazy around us, when we have peaches and cream, it's easy to be a thankful people. But you, when you have trash and curdle, it gets a little tougher for the world, doesn't it? And it's not super easy for us as Christians, but what we know is, the trash and the curdle come from the same one who gives us the peaches and the cream, and they are all used for the good of those who love him. God is perfectly in control of all things. So, I might end real early today. I might do another sermon. So, spend some time looking at your life today. Think about the things that you really like, that, that make you smile, that you're thankful for, and thank God for them. But don't ignore the, the, the junk, the stuff that we don't like to think about, the hurts, the, the confusions, the difficulties, the uncertainties. Don't, don't try to, to sanitize them or, or marginalize them or ignore them. Let them sit in front of you and say, God, do I know you well enough to trust that you are using these things for a perfect purpose? Do I know you enough to understand that this isn't some divine wrath being poured on me because you hate me, but you are allowing this for your perfect purpose, and if I walk in daily obedience to you, I will be floored by your love as seen through this. The reality is for all of us, we're probably not 100% there, no? But, when you look upon the cross at Christ stretched out for us, you never, ever, ever have to doubt or question the love of God for you. Stop and think about that. If God died for us, and God is in control of all things, and everything in the earth is the Lord's, are we ever going to be up a creek? You know? Though the earth trembles and the mountains give way. I think I read that somewhere in the Psalms. Psalm 23, you know? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know why? 
because God's rod and staff, they comfort us. He walks beside us. He leads us to the green grasses and the still waters. And this is not figurative speech alone. This is reality of life. So as you go through life, listen perhaps to what Abraham and Moses and Joseph might say. And every saint in heaven today, if they were able to look down upon us, they're the words that Christ would want them to tell. I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for my sheep. Come to me, all who are labored and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Drink of me. Eat of me. They're saying to us, do it. Trust him. You'll be amazed. And each year, as we go through the middle of our story, we must be thankful not just about the stuff, but about the one who entrusts the stuff to us. Let that marinate in your mind a little bit this week. The more I thought about it, the more floored I was. God commands us, rejoice always. God, what about when you're sold into slavery? Rejoice! Why? Because I allowed it for a perfect purpose, for your good. Pray without ceasing. Why? Because you're going to need to. You're going to need to hang tight. We're going to need to talk. Give thanks in, in all circumstances. That's not like your daddy saying to you, smile and act like you're having fun. No, that's your loving Heavenly Father saying, hey, come to me. Know me better. Draw closer to me. Turn to me. Focus on me. And you will be floored by this gift I have entrusted to you that we know is the gospel. And the more fully we know it, the more we realize that God's command to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, isn't something you'd have to force upon yourself. It's something you can't resist the more fully you come to know who He is. we got to kind of work the worldly junk off our lenses. We see, because God opened our eyes. Now we got to scrub the lenses so we might see more clearly. And as we do... The world looks at us, and they start saying things like, they're not faking it. They are really, truly a a joyful, thankful person. Why? How? Then you get to answer them. But it begins here. It begins there. It begins by understanding the sovereignty of God and the love of God put together. And then you cannot help but be a thanksgiving people every day of the year. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that all of us might be amazed again and again, anew each day, by the awesomeness of who you are, by what your sovereignty really means, that we also might not forget or be distracted from your love as well. I pray that we would be able to walk as a people who, while we don't know the specifics, of how the whole story plays out, we know the end. We know that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. We know that victory is already the Lord's, even though we live in the midst of the battle. We know to where we are going. We know what eternity will be like in part. Perfection, no sin, no more tears or ache or pain. Living in your presence, seeing you clearly, rejoicing at all times. God, we know what eternity has in store. But as we live in these middle chapters between the opening pages of our life on this earth and the end, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us more fully day by day. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to walk in greater obedience day by day that we might be filled, that we might be amazed each day by the incredible depth and breadth of the love of God. God, why you love us, we will never fully know, but that you love us, that we can know with certainty. And I pray that as we know this, we rejoice in each and every moment as a thankful people, and that the world might gaze upon us with wonder, perhaps some with confusion, but they might ask. And Father, I pray that we would be equipped to give a reason for the hope that we have, and that hope rests in the fact that the sovereign God of all creation loves us so much that he became one of us and died upon that cross, so that while the wrath that was due us was taken upon you, the righteousness that was fully yours was poured upon us, and that you desire that none should be lost, but all should be saved. And I pray as a thankful people, understanding who we were and who we are made into, we might go out into the world and proclaim this wonderful offer that you have for people while there is still time. We pray all these things in the precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.